So I want to build on that a little more tonight. I want to talk about how to properly study the Word of God in light of what we just talked about. But again, I want to kind of give you guys more clarity as to if we understand who we are as the church, it makes reading the Word a lot easier and a lot, you can do it with a lot more clarity, okay? And sometimes I wonder why I even type notes here because I just looked at my page about once there and I just really wish I would stick to that. It would be a lot easier. Uh, I don't know if you can relate to that at all, Pastor. My goodness. So, okay. So the Word of God. The first thing I want to do tonight is I want to define a, a word. Maybe some of you have heard it before. Maybe some of you haven't. The word is hermeneutics. Anybody heard that word before? Okay. So as we look at the Word of God practically, it is 66 books written by 40 authors over roughly about a span of 1,600 years, give or take a little. Like, like any piece of literature, now hear me on this, this is going to sound like a kind of a brash statement for a minute, but let me, let me finish. Like, like any piece of literature, this is just words on pages, right? Not, not taking away from it, it's just, it's just black ink on, on a piece of paper, that's all this is. Now, yes, it, every word in here, we believe here, is inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? Somebody else can come along and pick this thing up, and they could just think it's complete fiction. So it's not so much what's written here that matters as much as how we interpret it. Would you agree? Two different people can look at this. One person can think, this is the inspired word of God. I believe it with all my heart, and this is an alive book. The person right next to me can look at this and just read this as fairy tales. Ah, Noah's Ark, that's funny. Yeah, right, that didn't happen. And do you see what I'm saying there? Do you see the point I'm trying to make? So, the way each of us interpret the Bible is called our hermeneutic. So, Mike's going to put a slide up there, and I'm going to define the word hermeneutic. Hermeneutics is, the definition is, concerning interpretation, especially of the Bible or literary texts, a method of, or theory of interpretation. So, just like we all have a worldview, we all, we all have these lenses we look through of, of the world, and there are so many factors that go into your worldview. Are you conservative? Are you liberal? Do you, um, do you like sports? Do you not like sports? All these factors go into our worldview, and that's how we kind of see the world play out in front of us. Well, we've, we also can say we've kind of got a a method of how we view the Bible. And that's, that's pretty important, and I want to talk about that a little bit tonight. How we interpret the Bible is a huge deal. In fact, these variations in, in the way that people interpret the Bible is why we have over 30,000 Christian denominations. Did anybody know that? Over 30,000 Christian denominations. I don't think God intended that. I really don't. And what you find is a lot, of these, a lot of these denominations agree on the main thing. They agree on the main thing, but they differ on the secondary things, the things that shouldn't really break fellowship. I mean, I, I think as I look around the room here tonight, I don't think there are probably two people in here that would 100% agree on everything in Scripture. Do you agree with that statement? I mean, when you really dig down to it page by page, Bruce and I are going to have different opinions on things. Bruce and Pastor are going to have different opinions on things. Pastor and Jason, so on and so forth. Everybody is going to see something a little bit differently in their interpretation. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing. I, I, we're fallible. We're, we're human. God knew that. As long as that is clear, as long as that foundation isn't messed with, 
It's, it's okay to, for one person to think, you know, I think, I think this may really mean this, and I think this may mean a little bit different. That, that's not necessarily an evil or a bad thing. So make sure you're understanding that as I'm, as I'm speaking tonight. But I think the most important thing when we're interpreting the Bible, again, when we're defining our own hermeneutic, the most important thing is that we're consistent and have a consistent method of interpretation. And the second thing is that we put things into proper context. So that's what, that's what we're going to kind of dive into here. So the very first thing I want to talk about is getting some consistency when you're studying the Word of God. Remember, we're, I said in the beginning, we're the church, and as you're studying the Bible, what I, what I want you to understand tonight is if you understand who you are as the church and you're, you study the Bible through that lens, it's going to make way more sense to you. That's, that's been my case for the past few years as it's kind of clicked for me, and I've just seen this book light up and illuminate in a way that I, I never did before when I, I guess, struggled with what things meant and where things were and what applied to me and what didn't, okay? So consistency. Take the Bible literal unless it's clearly not meant to be. Would you guys agree with that statement where to take the Bible literal? Okay. There's a quote that I've heard a lot of teachers make, and I, I did some research, and it actually goes back to a guy named David Cooper, David L. Cooper. He was the founder in the early 1900s of the Biblical Research Society. Again, I've heard a lot of other teachers reference this quote, and I think it's a powerful quote, and I think it's one we should all try to t- memorize and, and be, able to, be able to recite. So here's the quote. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, seek no other sense, lest it result in nonsense. So I'll read that again. When the plain sense of Scripture makes common sense, Seek no other sense, lest it result in nonsense. Does that make sense? So, when you're looking for consistency in your study of Scripture, always assume the Scripture is meant to be taken literal. That's your first assumption every time you're reading the Word of God. Assume it to be taken literal. But as you start to read the Bible, you realize some things you just you can't, they're not meant to be taken literal. And you've got to be able to identify what those instances are. Now, I don't have time to go into all those tonight. I'm going to give you a a reference here in a minute. If you want to do that research on your own, I would encourage that. But there are things that we come across in Scripture that kind of throw us a curveball. There are symbols. There are allegories. There are metaphors. These are called figures of speech. We run across these in the Bible. I'll give you some examples. Here's an example of a metaphor. Very popular verse. We're told in Isaiah 40, 31 that we can mount up on wings like an eagle. We know that scripture, right? That scripture's not really suggesting that we're going to be given wings, right? When we read that, we don't take that literal and think, okay, God wants me to literally grow wings here. No, we, we read over that and we understand that that's a metaphor, right? If you remember back to your English class in high school, which I barely do, you, you realize, hey, metaphors are when certain things are giving animal characteristics or something like that, right? So that's a metaphor. Here's an example of an allegory in Scripture. hope I didn't just offend every teacher here. Sorry, Jess. An example of an allegory we come across in Scripture. Okay, Matthew 13, which is the parable of the sower, is, is in Matthew 13. So what, what Jesus is talking about in this parable is he's, he's given the example of uh, a sower sowing seed on different types of soil, right? 
Well, he's not really saying, and he's relating that to spreading the, spreading the message of the gospel and, and how that message, which is the seed, will fall on different types of soil, producing different results, which is really just talking about how different responses are going to be given back to the Scripture. So Jesus isn't really telling you that you're supposed to go out and hand people seeds, right? We know that when we're reading Scripture. It's an example of allegory. So take the Bible literal unless you clearly come across things like this. When those things happen, you got to know the Bible means something a little different there, okay? So again, beware of these figures of speech in the Bible. Now what happens is, if you're not aware of these figures of speech, believe it or not, it sounds, sounds kind of simple, but you can get completely spun around. Entire denominations have not properly handled figures of speech in the Bible and completely derailed and gone off track. And I'm going to give you an example of that. So uh, another thing that happens when you, when you allegorize things is a lot of people call that spiritualizing Scripture. You look at Scripture and you think, God didn't really literally mean that. He meant it spiritually. So the Roman Catholic Church, and I don't mean to pick on them tonight. Actually, I don't, I don't mind too much, really. But the, the Roman Catholic Church has been guilty of that. They have allegorized and spiritualized Scripture to the point where they literally think that we're living in the kingdom of God now, and the Roman Catholic Church has replaced Israel as God's chosen people, and they are the kingdom. Am I right, Bruce? Is that pretty accurate? Don't, don't, they, don't, we, don't they believe that we're, we're past the millennium and we're living in the kingdom of God at this point, essentially, from your days? Yeah. Yep. So you probably don't even want to think back that far, I can imagine, Bruce. Um, so again, if you, it sounds simple, but if you get spun around on these figures of speech and you start spiritualizing things that are meant to be literal, you can get yourself in trouble. Do you see what I'm saying? So if you guys want to write this down, there's a, a really awesome research you can do on these figures of speech. There's, there's a bunch of them, allegory, metaphors, symbols, a lot of these things that, and it gives you really amazing examples of scriptures of how these play out in the Bible. Do a Google search sometime on Biblical Research Society is who puts it out, and it's called the Rules of Interpretation. Biblical Research Society, Rules of Interpretation. Very enlightening, and it's if you want to be a serious, you know, student and, and make sure you're properly reading these things, it's it's a really good, um, you know, study to look into and see what the different figures of speech are in the Bible. So again, we're talking about properly studying the Word. The first thing is be consistent. Be consistent with your interpretation. Literal when it's meant to be literal. Look for the figures of speech. Okay. The second thing you want to do when you're studying the Bible is you want to get proper context. And I've got written down here, we must rightly divide the word. Okay. How many know that we're actually told in one specific place in the Bible how we're to study the Bible? I'll show you that here. Okay, now, point of emphasis before I do that. This is not, this is not Chad's way of studying the Bible. No, I don't, I don't have the corner on anything. I honestly don't. This is actually Scripture's point of view on how to study Scripture. So let's read this, let's read this passage. It's 2 Timothy 2.15. 
So we've got Paul talking here, pretty, uh, pretty significant source, I would say, wrote a majority of the New Testament, responsible for much of the doctrine of the church. So Paul's telling his understudy, Timothy, who he's wanting to pass his, you know, his uh, teaching down to and have him continue on in, in, in his work. He tells Timothy, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So Paul tells Timothy here to rightly divide the word. So logically, can we deduct that if, if we're told that there were to rightly divide, then we can logically assume that there are divisions in Scripture, right? Paul's telling Timothy to divide Scripture properly, so does that mean there are divisions in Scripture? Let's, let's, let's look into that. Hold that thought for just a moment here. So Paul goes on a chapter later, which is probably the same conversation because we know there weren't, there weren't chapter divisions when this was written, and we read this very common verse, chapter, 2 Timothy 3, 16. Again, one chapter later, same conversation with Timothy. He tells Timothy, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. We've all heard that one. Awesome, awesome passage. All Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. All of it is profitable to us reading here today. Again, rhetorical question. Is all, is, is all Scripture good to read? Absolutely. I love the Old Testament. It, uh, I, I would argue that if you don't understand your Old Testament, you don't fully understand the New Testament. It, and especially book, key books in the, in the New Testament, if you don't understand the Old Testament, you can't properly understand the New Testament. So the Old Testament's amazing. It, it, you learn so much about the character of God. You learn valuable lessons from your, about your faith from the men and women of God who went through trials and testings and things in the Old Testament. And you also learn the most important thing, which is the need for a Savior in the Old Testament. We get a lot of doctrine in the Old Testament. You know, the doctrine of hell is established in the Old Testament. I think that's a pretty important doctrine, right? So there's a lot of key things in the Old Testament. However, the vast majority of the Old Testament was not written to us. It was strictly written to Israel. That kind of sounds almost like a heretical statement a little bit, right? Just for me to stand up here and say, some of the Bible wasn't written to you. But hear me out on that. So, all Scripture is written for us, and I've said this up here before in another teaching, all Scripture is written for us, however, not all Scripture is written to us. And that's the important thing you've got to understand. If you want to correctly, rightly divide the Word, you have to, have to recognize the difference between spiritual application and direct application. So let's, let's talk about a couple good examples. Again, remember, we're talking about properly getting context when we're studying the Word. Very, very popular verse, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Spiritual application. Can I apply that to my life? Absolutely. That's probably one of the most popular graduation gifts you'll see. You know, yes, our Heavenly Father has plans of good and not of evil for His children. Absolutely. There's a spiritual lesson to be learned there. Now, what's the direct lesson, or what's the direct context here? 
This is the prophet Jeremiah speaking to Israel. They're in Babylonian captivity. They think everything's over. God's done with them. And God tells Jeremiah to tell the Israelites, no, no, I've got plans for you, plans of good and not of evil. They're about to come out of captivity at that point. So he's talking to Israel. That's, that's not a message for the body of Christ. It's a spiritual truth that we can understand and learn from about our, our God's character, but it's not a message directly to the church. Follow me? Make sense? Okay, another, another example. So that, that one's easy. That, that one's an example where the direct and the spiritual can both apply to us. Now let's talk about one where if you mix the direct and the spiritual up, you can get spun around again. Colossians 2.16. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of any holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath days. Okay, so, so Paul's basically telling the, the church in Corinth, and, and the Colossians here that, hey, don't, don't let people judge you. Now, most of these people were Jews converted now to Christianity. They, they believed who Christ was at this point. So this is important. He, Paul was telling them, hey, don't, don't let people judge you on what you're eating anymore. Don't let people judge you on what Sabbath day you're observing. Don't let, don't let that happen. These are just a shadow of things to come that point to Christ, as the Scripture goes on and says. However, that seems to directly, directly come into conflict, conflict with Deuteronomy 14. In that entire chapter, we're told so many things, so many animals, shellfish, you know, anything with a split hoof, all these animals that you're not allowed to eat. So if I read this, if I read Deuteronomy 14 and then just happen to flip my Bible to Colossians 2.16, I can get really spun around and confused, right? What is going on here? I, can I eat this? Can I not eat this? I'm confused. What, what, what? Get context. Right, that's what Paul meant by rightly dividing the word. Deuteronomy 14 was the law given to the Israelites. Doesn't apply to me anymore. I'm not under the law. We know Christ came and fulfilled the law, all of it. But Colossians was written to Christians. So what Paul's saying there, yeah, that applies to me. Does that make sense what I'm saying? Properly apply what was written to you to you. If there's a truth to be gained from the Old Testament, and there are millions of them in there, hidden away, and they're amazing, yes, apply those things to you. You know, gain a spiritual truth from it. Boost your faith from the Old Testament. Get the Old Testament, get wisdom from the Old Testament to properly understand the New Testament. But don't take the Old Testament and things that are being done in the Old Testament and heap them onto yourself because you're going to get confused and you're going to get spun around. I really hope I'm making that clear. I really hope I am. Um, that's a scary thing to kind of say up here. Like I, I hope, again, I just... I, trusting that the Holy Spirit is, is letting that soak in. Again, I don't have any corner on any truth. I just know that there were times in my life where I, I didn't properly divide, and I would read things, and I would get confused. Um, I would think, well, why is this saying this here, and why, why is this saying something different here? And I, you start to question the Bible. And if you properly divide it, if you get context, and if you properly inter interpret the Bible— all that confusion goes away, and it's, it becomes crystal clear. It's an amazing thing, and it's a freeing thing. I don't want to heap the law and the bondage of the law back on myself. I really don't. The Bible tells us the law, the law was our schoolmaster in pointing us to Christ. Yes, it is good to know the law and to see how perfect God's requirements were, and what you had to do to be perfect in God's sight. It was, it was impossible to fulfill the law. We know that. Only one's ever done it. And I don't want to heap that back on myself. 
I want to read the Bible and only apply what needs applied to me. Learn from the rest of it, but only apply what needs applied to me, applied to me properly. Okay. So when you, just to review real quick before we go into some application here as, as I'm winding down. And I need to wind down much quicker. Um, you've got to get consistency. You've got to get context. When you do that and you properly read the Bible, it starts to look, the, the whole picture of the Bible starts to look something like what Mike's going to put up on the screen here in a minute. You guys have seen me put this up here before. You start to look at this entire story, and you can visualize how it's played out. When you're properly dividing things, you see see the Old Testament on this side of the cross. No. Michael flipped those for me. But anyway, you, you start to get a picture that looks like this. Again, you guys have seen this before. You've, when, he, when Mike gets the Old Testament up here, you've got everything that happened before the cross over here. You've got the cross, and then you've got the New Testament. And Mike, no big deal if you can't get that right. We'll, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll figure it out. There we go. Thanks, Mike. That's a hard job back there. I appreciate it. So again, I, the cross, the Old Testament, you know, the, the establishment of Israel, the, the cross, Christ's sacrifice on the cross, the church age starting, the kingdom in the future. When you properly divide the word and read it in proper context and you properly interpret it, you get a picture that looks like this. Now again, a lot of, a lot of, people, a lot of people's pictures of the Bible don't look like this. Again, not picking on the, the Catholic church, but their timeline wouldn't look like this. They, they, don't, they don't see any of this stuff. They, they see, if you'll, if you'll notice here, there's a little sliver of purple left for Israel in, in, in this diagram. The Catholic Church wouldn't see that. Many other denominations wouldn't see that. Israel's been replaced. The church has wiped them out. They're no more. We've replaced Israel. That's just not the truth. And when you, properly, when you don't properly say the word, that, that stuff starts to happen. Okay, some application here. Mike, you can leave that up on the screen. I think I'm going to have to skip over some parts so we can get to prayer here. I want to read one scripture out of this page that I was going to read. So there's a, there's a, a gross error that happens when we don't rightly divide the word, and that gross error is called replacement theology. Who's heard of that? It, again, a lot of denominations are guilty of this. It's when you think that we, the church, who we've been talking about the past three weeks, when you think we, the church, have replaced Israel in God's plan. We haven't. When you do that, what's happening is something really bad. First of all, you're calling God a liar. He's made promises to Israel, and, and you're basically telling, telling God he's not going to fulfill those promises. The second thing is you're confusing our role in his plan, the church. You're confusing our role in his plan. The third thing is you're potentially, we just talked about it, you're potentially heaping the law back on yourself. Christ fulfilled the law. Don't heap it back on yourself. It's an amazing thing that we live under grace now on this side of the cross. And then the last thing that happens when you start replacing Israel with the church is you get confused on how things are soon about to play out in the world. You get confused on that. Okay, powerful scripture. Paul in Romans 11 says, I ask then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. I myself am an Israelite 
a descendant of Abraham and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. No, God has not rejected his own people, whom he chose from the very beginning. Paul goes on and says, So this is the situation. Most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God they are looking for so earnestly. A few have, the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened. As the scriptures say, God has put them in a deep sleep. To this day, he has shut their eyes so they do not see and closed their ears so they do not hear. He goes on and says, I want you to understand this mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have had hard hearts. Their eyes have been closed. But this will last only until the full number of Gentiles come to Christ. And so then all Israel will be saved. So I would encourage you to read Romans 11. Paul is talking to to the Jews there, and he's telling them, hey, um, God hasn't forgotten about us. I'm a Jew myself. He's basically put, put the plan for the Jewish people on hold, and he's doing something different right now. He is opening the door up to the Gentiles. We've been talking about that, and that's where this, this blue mark comes in, the church age. It's Israel's over here. They've been put on hold. The Scripture just said that they've been blinded temporarily. God's collecting a body of people for his, for his son, the bride of Christ, out of this time period, out of the, the Gentiles. We've been grafted in. We're told that we're the wild olive branch grafted into the, into the fig tree. But God's going to close the door at some point on the, this time. That's going to be the rapture of the church. And then he's going to put all of his attention back on to Israel. So let's run down through this timeline really quick, and then we're going to get to prayer. Okay, I'm just going to read and, and try to follow along with me here. So over here we see the word covenant, and you see the purple graph start. This is God making an everlasting covenant with Abram. We know that eventually through Abram's son and grandsons, that eventually leads to the 12 tribes of Israel, and the nation of Israel starts. The problem is, is Israel always wants more. They're never content with the heavenly king. They want an earthly king. They're never content with God's law written on their hearts. They want it written on scrolls. They're never content with the Messiah bringing a spiritual kingdom. They want a physical one. Because of their disobedience and ultimately them not keeping the Sabbath law, God wills that Israel be captured and exiled into captivity. That happens on our timeline around close to 600 B.C. At that point, through the prophet Daniel, God decrees that 490 years of punishment to Israel will happen. This punishment will start, the 490 years will start when a decree is made to rebuild the temple. The temple had been destroyed. God says, when the decree is made to rebuild it, start the, start the timer. 490 years will start at that point. But he tells them that after the 483rd year, the Messiah will show up and he'll be cut off. We see that happen. A decree is made. 483 years later, Jesus shows up. He's killed by the Jews. Because of that, we just read that God blinded the Jewish people. Israel is blinded by God himself while he opens up salvation to the Gentiles. Israel is told that when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, that they will be saved again. So we're moving up to here on the timeline, the very end here, the end of the church age, right before that little sliver of purple. The rapture has just happened. The last Gentile has been saved. God has just fulfilled his plan and purpose of gathering out of every tongue, tribe, and nation the body of Christ. The problem is, is out of the 490 years, Israel's only served 483 of their punishment. Seven years still have to happen. 
God puts Israel through the final seven years, which is the great tribulation, this tiny sliver of purple that we see ahead. And at the end of the tribulation, Israel is saved, and they're given their promised kingdom, which is the last thousand years there. So, again, I kind of read that to say when you properly divide the word, you see that we're here in this blue part. This is us. When you study the Bible, and you, when you read the Bible in light of that, you start to see who you are. You're the church. You're not Israel. God has other plans for Israel. It's awesome to see those other plans are going to be fulfilled here at some point very soon. So does that make sense? Again, my, my, my emphasis tonight was study the Word in light of who you are. Read yourself into the Scriptures if, if need be. Read, understand who the church is, understand that you are a member of the church. When you read the Old Testament, realize that you're reading a book about Israel and all the things that they've had to go through. Realize that those are still God's chosen people and He has a plan for them in the future. When you read about the tribulation, know that that has to do with Israel. Don't read yourself into that tribulation. You're the church. We're told that at some point the Gentiles are going to be cut off. That's, that's when the rapture happens. God's done with collecting His church at that point. He's putting His focus back on Israel. When you read about the kingdom, the millennium, know that that's the earthly kingdom that was promised to the Jews. So again, just get proper context when you're reading and studying the Word, and I promise you, you will be blessed. And I'm sure a lot of you are already doing that. But when I started getting that proper context, seeing it all properly aligned, it just it opened up the pages and they, they lit up to me. They made way more sense. Can anybody relate to that? Awesome. Okay. Well, I went a little over here, but we definitely have some time still. I know this is um, prayer service. It's really hard to know how long my talks are going to go. I, I apologize for going about 10 minutes over here, but um, I think the booth's got some songs to play, and I know it's important to um, storm, the, storm the altars here tonight. There's a lot to pray for, so we'll, we'll kind of quiet it down here now. Um, spend some time in prayer. I'll come up here and dismiss in a little bit, and again, thanks for, um, again, just it's a blessing to be able to sit here and talk about the Word of God tonight, so thanks for looking at me while I do it. I appreciate it.